Good morning. Welcome to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. I am Judge Allegra Collins. To my right is Judge Toby Hampson. To my left is the Judge Theron Jackson. We thank uh, our clerk, Eddie, oh, I'm going to blank his name, Eddie Sanders, only known you for 20 years, uh, our clerk, and uh, Deputy Marshal, Marshal Richard Remillard. We have one case on the calendar today. It is 22117 Lackey v. City of Burlington. Council, are you ready? You may begin. Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the court. My name is Chad Archer, and I represent the plaintiffs' appellants, the Lackeys, along with my colleague, Henry Hilston. Um, I intend to argue on the issues of estoppel and the validity of the purported dedications, and Mr. Hilston plans to argue on the issue of adverse possession and related matters. Um, I won't bore the court with any factual recitations. Those are all set forth in a brief, but I think there are a couple of facts to note with respect to these purported dedications and whether they were valid. And so with that, I would begin by noting that in 1956, the days, as identified in, in the plaintiff appellant's brief, recorded a plat that um, divided their land into a series of lots for a development. And that 1956 plat had some language on it that said, the streets on this plat will be dedicated to the lot owners and to the general public, except when dedication requested and accepted by city of Burlington for the general public. So what's your position on the, uh, the, the impact of the 1997 plat, which seems to include more specific dedications? Yes. Well, to, to, the, to the town, to the city. Right. The, so on the 1956 plat, our position is it didn't dedicate it to the town. On the 1997 plat, um, that plat was recorded by our client's immediate predecessors entitled, identified as the Elder Lackeys, it's the parents of um, Dr. Lackey. And it includes the another purported language of dedication that cited, I, we hereby certify that I, we are, are the owners of the property shown and described hereon, which was conveyed to me, us, by deed, on recorded in placeholder for deed book and page. This is a free act. Um, and we do hereby dedicate to public use of streets, rights of way, and easements forever all areas so shown or indicated on said plat. Our position on that is this is a plat that shows all the land that was owned of record, acquired by deed by the elder lackeys at the time of its recording. And it, I've, I have a copy here, but well, I, it has, I've bolded the areas that are designated. There's nothing within the boundaries of that property as owned of record by the elder lackeys that's designated as an easement, as a right of way, as a street. There is stuff outside of the, the, the property indicated um, as owned by the lackeys, as acquired by deed, that is identified as a street. But, you know, I could have a plat of my property and you could be my neighbor, Judge Hampson, and maybe it has your property on there, maybe it has an easement on your land. I can't dedicate something that's outside of what I own that's on your adjoining parcel for use as a street or as a right-of-way. So to this language is, I think, a nothing burger in that respect. It doesn't dedicate anything. But beyond that, all of this property, and again, this is property that the, the elder lackeys have acquired by deed, 
was acquired by them as tenants by the entirety. There is only one signature on this with the notary block next to it. That's Mr. the elder Mr. Lackey's signature. There's no, no, no signing by Mrs. Lackey, who owns this property as part of one half of the tenancy by the entirety. It's not effective to create a dedication for that reason also. So this 1997 plat, again, we don't think it, it's, a val, it's not a valid offer. If it's not a valid offer, it can't be accepted as a dedication. For the 1956 plat, again, we think that plat dedicated it to the lot owners and reserved a right to potentially dedicate it in the future to the city. And that's confirmed by the language of the deed into the, um, the elder lackeys from the days that says we've dedicated streets to the lot owners. We have reserved the right to dedicate to the city and that is being passed on to you as a transferee. Um, but that required three things to happen. It required one, not just um, acceptance by the city, the language talks about a request from the city and then it would require two after a request, the lot owners, and that would be all the lot owners as the transferees of the days, um, actually making the offer of dedication, which never happened. And then third, an acceptance by the city. And none of that happened. What's pleaded, and again, we're at the 12B6 stage. The only thing that's pleaded is that the city, 60 plus years later, says, we're accepting that. Well, you can't accept it if it's not actually ever been validly offered. You would, you would agree that when we're reviewing a case through a 12B6, um, we can go outside the pleadings to, to, to look at documents that are referenced in the pleadings, that kind of thing, right? Yes, the case law is clear that you can consider things that are referenced or that are attached or that are susceptible to judicial notice. All that can be considered at 12B6 without converting to summary judgment. And, and all these documents are actually attached to the complaint and incorporated therein by reference, so they would be properly considered at the 12B6 stage. So, and just looking at the map, you've got Hawthorne Lane that runs essentially north-south, and am I correct that at least part of Hawthorne Lane was used as a street and a road? It's just this last little piece that was not, is that correct? That's correct. So what about the argument that if, if any part of a street or a road is used as, or accepted as dedicated, then the entire street or road is done so? Right, so that, that's obviously been cited by our, our friends for the um, appellee. Correct. And that case law has all been decided in the context of a withdrawal. And they've also made the argument that there's only two ways to withdraw. Um, and they've said that that's through the statutorily prescribed mechanism or that's through adverse possession. Our position is there is actually only one way to withdraw and that is the statutory withdrawal mechanism. There are other ways to extinguish the ability to accept the dedication. One of them is adverse possession, another is estoppel, but all the cases that talk about withdrawal say you cannot withdraw after part of it has been used. Um, and so I think that if, if part of Hawthorne Lane is opened, and it is, mm -hmm. the lackeys no longer have the ability under the statute, um, and I'm, I can't remember the exact number, but the statutory way of actually effectuating withdrawal. What we're talking about here isn't a withdrawal. We're saying that your ability to accept this dedication, first of all, was never valid anyways, because it wasn't a valid dedication, but it's, it's, you're furthermore stopped from it. 
you, the right to accept it has been extinguished through estoppel or through adverse possession. And on the issue of estoppel, um, you know, we have, we have a pleaded claim that is a viable claim, we believe, under North Carolina law, under the 1952 decision of Lee versus Walker from the Supreme Court that, you know, says that a town can be stopped from accepting a dedication if there's been a passage of time coupled with affirmative acts by the city. Um, I think there's been a, perhaps a lot made of the argument that a mere passage of time won't stop a city, and we agree with that. Mere passage of time wouldn't be enough, but if a city, if you approach them and they affirmatively disavow any rights in the property, as they've done, which would include inchoate rights like the ability to accept a dedication, then you can be a stop from doing that if all the elements are, are met, and we believe they are, um, and we believe that leave versus Walker remains good law. I don't think anything in the 1960 decision, Stedman, which talks about um, extinguishing the ability to accept through adverse possession or using the statutory withdrawal um, mechanism affirmatively overrules Lee versus Walker, which allows for estoppel. And so um, I think that is the, the nuts and bolts of, of those two issues primarily. The, the only other thing I will say, uh, unless the court has um, further questions for, for me, well, I, actually two more things. One thing is um, in the Lee versus Walker case, another response that we've heard from the appellee is that the distinguishing feature there is there was a formal proclamation that said, we're not accepting this. And that's, that's kind of identified as the sin qua non of why that case is different from this one. We think that's an overly narrow reading and that actually the, the holding from Lee versus Walker is, as I've described, passage of time coupled with some sort of affirmative acts and we've pled affirmative acts here even if the well, 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 walk us through those affirmative acts yes. that, that, that you allege um, constitute estoppel here. So um, as laid out in the brief and in, and in the complaints, the affirmative acts would include our clients going to the city and saying, um, you know, we have this issue with a drainage problem um, coming from this utility easement. We are trying to ascertain like who, who should be responsible for this. And the city says to them, well, it's not us. We don't have any rights to this property. Um, and well, if you don't, who does? And they, they, they did a title search as we've alleged and said, we have no rights to this property. If anyone has rights to it, it's the lot owners, it's your neighbors, go talk to them. So we do, we go talk to the neighbors and the neighbors say, um, from by and large, the majority of them say, we, we don't have any interest in claiming any rights to this, so we'll really But is, is that just a function of the, of the city saying, sort, of, sort of saying, like, there may be a dedication out there, but we haven't accepted it yet, so we have no, we have no rights that, you know, we, we're back to the, the 19 whatever. Deal. Right. You know, well, so again, taking the construing this in the light most favorable to the lackeys as the non-moving party, what this what we've alleged in the complaint is the city disavowed any rights, and so again, we think that that disavowal of any rights doesn't include any sort of fee. It's not interpreted as saying we don't have rights to the fee. It's interpreted as saying anything, including an inchoate right to accept this, um, and then saying go talk to your neighbors, and then we say well, hold on, we've got issues still. We want to get on a public agenda to talk about this. And the city says, ah, take that off the public agenda. We don't need to do that. You know, um, we'll, we'll fix these things. You can use this property. 
we don't have any interest in this and go, go about your lives, only then to have the rugs pulled out from underneath of them by accepting these, what we contend aren't even valid dedications anyways, many, many years later. And so that really fits the classic framework for estoppel. And there, the foreign case law that we cited, we cited a case called Cone from Wisconsin, which doesn't have anything about the, the formal you know, proclamation rejecting the dedication. And, and it would be a, a bit of a too strained of a reading anyways to the extent estoppel is an equitable doctrine. So it has to be construed liberally to, to apply to a variety of circumstances. Are, are you arguing adverse possession in this case? We are, but Mr. Hilson's going to address that. I'll save that. my argument, yes. my question. And, and I guess the last thing I'll say before turning it over to him is that um, another issue with this case is if there is a, a valid dedication at all, and I think Judge Hampson has, has tuned into this somewhat with his questioning, you know, the better argument, at least for the city, would seem to be that it was the 1997 final plat, since that is dedicated directly to the city. And it talks about streets, rights of way, um, easements, et cetera. There's nothing on that plat, plat that's marked as an easement. It's all marked as a street or as a right of way. There's a statutory definition for that. And what the city has done isn't open a street or right of way. It's tried to use an entirely different use um, that is a footpath. And that's How is a footpath not a right of way? Well, so a right of way has a statutory definition as being the same as a highway and a street, and those all talk about vehicular traffic. Now, our clients don't want a vehicular traffic there either, but it is yet another example of the city overreaching and using this in an inconsistent way, and there is case law that says that's not permissible. We never even got that far because we kind of were shut out of the courthouse doors at the 12B6 stage before we could get to all this on discovery. And again, we think we pled enough taking all the facts and the lights most favorable to us to put forth several viable theories that should have been able to proceed. But I, with that, I will turn it over to Mr. Hilston if there's no further questions on these issues. Good morning, Your Honors. I'm Henry Hilston, and I'm a colleague of Chad representing the plaintiffs' appellants. And I'm going to address the adverse possession claim here. Um, and just as a framework for that adverse possession claim, I want to think about what the purpose of this lawsuit is and the purpose of the lackeys in filing this lawsuit. And that purpose is to prevent or stop the city from taking this land that they have used for many numbers of years since 1960 and turning it into a roadway. And that's the purpose of this lawsuit. It's not necessarily about who has title in the end, though that is a related question. And so. But your, your clients took, with constructive knowledge here at least, of, of the, the existing dedication in the whatever, the 50s of the, to, the lot, to the rest of the lot owners, and they took with notice of the 1997 plat. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> so just the, the mere fact you, you, uh, somebody's using land that's going to be dedicated and accepted to use as a roadway isn't, doesn't do anything, right? Well, I, I see, so yes, they took with constructive knowledge of those, the, the potential for dedication or an actual dedication, but the, they were using the land, that is, and I see where we're going with that, with the hostility elements and exclusivity, but their actual possession of the land is adverse to the days who were the original owners, rather than these people who had inchoate interests in the, opening of the land as a dedication. And so that's really the question of who they're 
adversely possessing against in establishing hostility. And so, although that is true that they're, they had these, they took with constructive knowledge of that, they could still adversely establish all of the elements of adverse possession, such as actual possession, exclusive, open and notorious possession, which if we go into the facts of this case and look back in 1960, they built their house on these two lots, A and B, and then from that period forward, they operated an annual garden on the land, they mowed the land, and they maintained the drainage on the land, which all appropriate uses for this road. Is that road. ownership adverse to the city, or is that ownership adverse to the, uh, the, the lot owners to whom it had originally been dedicated? It's adverse to the days is our position, hmm. who would be the person that, if it's true that the lot owners have an interest or some sort of inchoate right in dedication, but if the ownership interest were to revert to anybody, it would revert to the days, and so, oh, I see. so that's our, hmm. the adverse possession is against the days, and the reason we're not naming the days in this lawsuit is because, again, the purpose of this lawsuit is to stop the city, and if we need to establish title later in a separate lawsuit as to the days, then that will be something we can do, but the, our question here is whether by establishing all these elements from 1960 to 1980, you know, they actually possessed this land. They did it, they were the only people to actually possess this land. They opened and notoriously used this land by maintaining a drainage ditch, a garden, and mowing it. And they continuously, the elder lackeys continuously and uninterruptedly used this land from 1960 till, you know, for over 20 years, so they established the elements of adverse possession, the elder lackeys did, and title vested in them. So to the extent there was any uh, offer of dedication made by the 1956 plat and then the conveyance uh, from that plat, then that offer of dedication was extinguished under the Stedman case. One of the ways to extinguish an offer of dedication is by adverse possession when the lackey title vested in the lackeys in the 1980s. And it's sort of an immaterial question of whether that title is ultimately conveyed to the younger lackeys. So when we talk about the sort of the continuous possession and the sort of the, the, the time required to establish adverse possession, um, do, I mean, does, is, is it your position that, you know, you met the statutory timeline and then whatever happens after that doesn't matter. The fact that you went to the city and said, hey, this is your property, you need to come take care of it, doesn't matter. The fact that you, you know, asked permission from the city, you tried to get the lot, you know, the lot owners to sign the property over to you, that, that sort of thing. I mean, you're saying none of that really even matters because from X date to Y date, you, you adversely possessed it. That's right, and as of, you know, 20 years after they started this course of conduct that adversely possessed the land, the title vested in them. So all these other facts that happen later, whether or not the younger lackeys ever obtained this title, and that's a question outside the scope of the pleading, the elder lackeys extinguished the offer of dedication. And so that title may have passed to the younger lackeys at some point by will or devisement or something like that, but it is immaterial, all these other questions about asking for permission, hostility, that were all these acts that our opponents will point to, all of those are sort of immaterial because title had already extinguished. Ad, the elder lackey's obtainment of title by adverse possession had already extinguished the 
um, offer of dedication. So, and, so it's essentially, you're asking the court to determine way back that they established adverse possession, the elder lackeys. So we're not even looking at whether the current lackeys established adverse possession. Is that what you're telling me? That's correct. It, in that the, per, the reason we're asking for the court to look at that that way is because really our clients' goals are to stop the city from taking the land and developing it into a roadway. So it doesn't matter who, it's immaterial at least in this lawsuit at this stage, who has title in the end. It just matters that the, the elder lackeys obtained title in such a way that it extinguished the offer of dedication under Stedman. So we would ask the court to look at the elder lackeys and determine that they have pled a case for adverse possession at this 12B6 stage. But at the same time, I will address that the younger lackeys, the, on this appeal, uh, the city has raised several ar arguments about ex exclusivity and hostility, and the, those questions all, I think, distract from what the lackeys, the, the elder lackeys and then the younger lackeys did. The younger lackeys um, are the only persons, along with the elder lackeys, to ever actually possess this land. And despite the fact that the lot owners in the city may have had an inchoate right or interest in this land, that is not the same thing as actual possession, which is using the land in a way that is fit for a true owner. And the lackeys are the only people who ever did that. They mowed the land, they maintained the drainage ditch, and they planted a garden there. So they're the only people who did that, and they're, so the exclusivity element is not uh, destroyed by their conduct of asking the other lot owners of the city about whether they had a right in the land or whether they forfeit that right. And again, hostility is a question about hostile as to who, not the city at the time that the lackeys asked for permission to use the land, the same with the lot owners, were not the true owners. and so it's. Hostility is a facing question towards the true owner. It, at least that's our position, is that it's hostility as to the true owner. And so when they asked permission of the city and the lot owners, they were not getting permission from the true owner. And so that didn't destroy the hostility element. And so they can also establish uh, those they can establish those two elements in their complaint if the court were to look at the combination of the elder lackeys and the younger lackeys' possession. So it's your position that a claim, uh, an, uh, an unasserted claim of adverse possession passes with the passing of title? An unasserted, do you mean if the elder lackeys had uh, they, 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 I mean, they never actually asserted a, a, an adverse possession. Well, that's claim. correct, and then that is our position. I don't think there's anything you have to do to obtain title by adverse possession other than meet the requirements of the claim. You can then later file a lawsuit for declaratory relief or quiet title or that's something true, like that. That's true, but would the younger lackeys have standing to file a declaratory judgment action to assert the elder lackeys adverse possession claim? We think so, and we think they could establish uh, privity through the passage of deed and as well by a parole transfer. In the prior, in the case that was cited by my colleague Colby Bonaparte, um, 
discusses various ways that privity can be established. That's a necessary element of tacking, and I think that would establish their ability to assert this claim. And one of the ways that you can do that is by parole transfer. And that, the passage by the main two lots, one and two, A and B, whatever they are called, and then the continuance of their use of that land in the same fashion that the elder lackeys that used that land, if you construe all those facts in a light most favorable to the plaintiff, they have established a continuity of use and an apparent parole transfer that would give them standing to assert that claim and bring this lawsuit. So, and I, if there are any, no other questions. I have a question sure. about exclusivity. Sure. So the, the town put a sewer line in in, mm -hmm. in 1978. So can you be the exclusive owner of a piece of property which the town, I guess, claimed an easement? Yes, I mean, it, just imagine your own home if the city were to install a sewer line under it or something like that, you would still be the true, you know, the exclusive owner of that land. This, the lackeys are the ones that use the land in a way appropriate for this residential lot. They used it to maintain their drainage, put a garden, whereas the city built something underneath the land that not, to an extent may have utilized the land, but it was not in a way, a similar way, in a way appropriate appropriate for the type of land this was. So okay. well let's let's take that let's take that a step further. So the city builds a sewer line behind my house and they condemn a fifty foot easement. Mm -hmm. And they put the line in and they go on about their business. And every year after that I continue to mow the grass. Can I can I can I extinguish their easement? Because I have been, or am I in exclusive possession of something? Am I hostile to the city because I'm cutting their easement and I'm taking care of it, or I planted, or maybe I put a fence around it? Um, how 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 do I prove that I have exclusive when they have an easement? They have a sewer line in the ground. In that, I think I would distinguish that situation from what happened here, and in that, in this case, there was no easement to extinguish as far as I understand but there was just in that situation that might be a, just a different situation where you couldn't do anything to extinguish their right to the land but in this situation they were um, able to because there was no easement to extinguish and the city had just accepted this line for maintenance they were able to possess this land adversely and hostily to the days still so the, 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 the result of that type of argument would then be that the property owner could dig up the line, right? If there's no, if there's no easement. That, I mean, that's what you're saying, that with the adverse possession, they are now the owner of the entire piece of property and could well, they keep would the city from coming on the property. to that easement, yeah. I guess I should rephrase. They would take subject to that easement, but they could still adversely possess whatever is not that easement. So whatever way it is around that, yes. Thank you. Yes. Just before you begin, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. This morning we got two um, memorandum of additional authority clocked in. Um, we will be striking those. They were both late and also argumentative, which is against the rules. Now I know that. Uh, that no, I know that uh, that council talked about coal, and you can talk about coal, but but you may talk not talk about Roberts. Uh, understood, Your Honor, and I apologize That's for that. Right. Thank um, you. 
Your Honor, if it may please the court, Dan Hartzog, Jr., on behalf of Defendant City of Defendant Appellee, City of Burlington, here with David Huffman, City Attorney for City of Burlington. Um, Your Honor, this, this case is uh, pretty much established by North Carolina Supreme Court uh, precedent, which controls this case. Uh, the Stedman case, which was a 1960 case, said that once a dedication is made, uh, it, it can only be, the, the only reason that the city can't accept it is if it is withdrawn pursuant to the statutory process or the title vest by adverse possession. And they do cite also to the Lee case, which, um, which plaintiffs are relying on for their equitable argument. And it says the city can also reject an offer of dedication. So that, that case that, that does talk about the equitable estoppel is entirely distinguishable from this case. Um, and I'll, I'll go through the reasons for that. I do want to point out one thing to start with. Uh, the argument that there was simply no dedication in the first place was first raised in plaintiff's reply brief on appeal. As, as your honors are aware, an argument that is not raised at the lower court, uh, ruled on or, or raised on appeal uh, initially is, uh, is not permitted. So that the argument that there was no dedication by either the 1957 or the 1997 plat uh, is, is not properly before this court. Um, in addition to the fact that that argument is not permitted by the court, it is legally inaccurate. Uh, the, the general rule in this jurisdiction with respect to dedication streets and alleys as established by the North Carolina Supreme Court is that where lots are sold and conveyed by reference to a map or plat, which represent a division of attractive land into subdivisions of streets and lots, such streets become dedicated to public use, and the purchaser of a lot or lots acquires the rights to have all those streets kept open. It makes no difference whether uh, the streets be in fact open or accepted by the governing boards of towns or cities if they lie within municipal corporations. So it's the fact of the plat itself having streets dedicated. The dedication language itself in the, in the plat is really a red herring. The fact is these streets were marked as streets in the subdivision filed as a plat with the subdivision of land, that in and of itself dedicates the streets to public use and allows the city to accept that dedication. Absent one of those factors like express rejection by the city, withdrawal of the dedication or uh, title vesting by adverse Specifically, possession. when do you contend the dedication to the city occurred? Yes. When? Uh, well, both in the 1957 plat and the 1997 plat. Um, again, once a plat is filed, once a piece of property is subdivided and a plat is filed with streets uh, identified in the plat, those streets, by virtue of North Carolina Supreme Court law, are dedicated, deemed dedicated to the public use. So the, the language that says we may dedicate them is really a red herring because the, the operative uh, dedication is the fact that the streets are designated in the plat map. Um, I also want to point out uh, a, an inconsistency in plaintiff's argument here, which is uh, they've made the argument that, well, there's no, the 1997 final plat, as referred to in the complaint, didn't dedicate anything because the lackeys didn't own that property. So they couldn't dedicate anything they didn't own. At the same time, they're arguing, well, the lackeys, the elder lackeys, had adverse possession, so their title transfers to, uh, to the plaintiff lackeys. So either they owned the property or they didn't. Uh, I think the record is pretty clear that they didn't, uh, but under plaintiff's argument, um, 
if they, assuming for the sake of argument, that they took adverse possession, they dedicated it with the 1997 final plaque. And so that dedication is another dedication that the city is entitled to accept. Couldn't, couldn't the city's denial of any ownership rights when the lackeys went and said, this is flooding, we, we need you to do something, couldn't that be seen as an express rejection? Your, Your Honor, no, because it's not an official act by the city. So if you look, and I'll, I'll, this sort of brings me to the, uh, uh, to the Lee case. Um, the Levy-Walker case is, is town of Southern Pines uh, was, had a dedication of, of streets. Um, and they had a charter authority to reject or, or disavow any streets that they may have accepted previously. So what happened in Levy-Walker is the city decided, the town of Southern Pines decided they didn't want the alleys that, were, that had been dedicated. And they passed a formal resolution, vote by the city council, and said, we're not, we reject the dedication of these alleys. Uh, other differences in the Lee case, no portion of those alleys were ever opened. Here, portions of Hawthorne Road were opened, so the dedication becomes irrevocable. Um, not the case when no portion of an alley is, is ever used. Um, so the town used its charter authority to discontinue any alley. So the court essentially said the town of Southern Pines did one of two things. They rejected the dedication outright, or they abandoned the alley pursuant to their charter authority both official acts of the town board. They said it doesn't matter which way you characterize it, that they had accepted it and, and, and then abandoned it pursuant to their charter authority, or they rejected the dedication in the first place. Either one of those two stops them from, uh, from later accepting the dedication. Why, 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 why would it not be reasonable for the lackeys to rely on the representation of you know uh, an an agent right uh, an agent of the right of the, of the city you know for purposes of estoppel here even absent uh, you know formal so, board action so plaintiffs have raised three alleged representations and they they're specific in their brief that there's three times that they say that the city made some representation to them the first one is in 2002 uh, they say the city was not, they came to the city and contrary to their claims of having adverse possession, they came to the city and said, who owns this property? Someone needs to come do maintenance on this property. Who owns it? Is it you? Is it the county? That's in and of itself uh, contradicts their, their claim of open hostile use. They did not have open hostile use in 2002. Well, we're, we're talking about, sorry, I got off talking about estoppel here rather sure. than the adverse possession. Apologize, Your Honor. No, 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 that's fine. There. That's fine. Uh, but the point is, in 2002, the city said, we don't own that property. We, we have no right to it. And at the time, they did not have any right to it because the, that property was not annexed into the city until 2003. And as we've cited in our brief, uh, the, the courts have said, you can't accept a dedication that is not within your corporate limits. So they, they didn't have the right to accept the dedication until 2003 when that property was annexed in. So in 2002, it, is, it was entirely correct to say we have no right to it because they couldn't even accept the dedication at that point. Uh, so that would not be something that the plaintiffs could rely on and say, you know, the city has rejected this dedication. The plaintiffs were well aware of that, that there's a map, the plat map, and, you know, this is, this is a street that is, the street runs, and then there's a little uh, section that is the contested property, and the street continues. So it would not be reasonable for them to assume that, well, this is not part of the street or anything like that. 
it is clearly part of the street. Um, and so under Galt v. Town of Lake Waccamaw, we didn't have the authority in 2002 to accept that land at that point. The next representation that they've relied on is when they say in 2004, the lackeys were going to come to the city and make some public presentation about the land. It's unclear exactly what that presentation was going to be. And that the city said, well, if you withdraw that from the agenda, we'll, we'll go maintain the, the property. That is not a representation that we have no right to it. We have no ownership interest or anything like that. Um, so what we're left with is one time in 2012 where they say, well, the city had no right to the contested land. Go talk, the, the true owners are the, are the 17 other lot owners, which is, I believe, legally correct at the time. So they had no right to the land unless and until they accepted the dedication. What plaintiffs have tried to you know, articulate is, well, because they said they had no right, that must have meant they, they had rejected the dedication and had no right to accept the dedication. There's a distinguishing characteristic between having no ownership interest and no ownership rights and rejecting a dedication. Well, did they ever have a right to accept it if it actually wasn't dedicated to them? I mean, when it was dedicated, it was dedicated to whomever at that point could accept it. But if it was never dedicated to the city and they only had the opportunity in 2003 to accept it, was it ever really dedicated to them? Well, I think it is because it's dedicated. They dedicated it to the public. And the public, would, once the city has ownership of those streets, once the city has annexed that in, they have the right to accept that dedication for the public, for the benefit of the public. And what, so. what says that? Is there, is, there, is there a rule? Is there a statute? Is there a custom? Is there a case? There's something that says when you annex property, then you have the right? Yes, Your Honor. That's okay, what is that? Galt v. Town of okay. Lake So as soon as you become, as soon as you annex, then any sort of inchoate uh, dedications you have now. I believe that's right correct, that. Your Honor. Okay. Uh, if, there is a, if there is a previous dedication to the public of a street pursuant to a plat map, once that property is annexed in, the city has the right to that's accept That's part of that. what you get when you annex something. That's correct, Your okay. Honor. Um, so what we've got here is one statement in 2012 and one in 2002 when they didn't have the right to, to accept it. One in 2002, one in 2012 saying we don't have any right to the property, it belongs right now to the 17 other lot owners. Um, I don't believe that is at all analogous to the only case in North Carolina that has addressed the issue of equitable estoppel, which is Levy Walker. And in that case, uh, the other distinguishing factor is once the city formally rejected the dedication, the, the owner of those lots started selling them and the city started taxing them and collecting taxes and approving building permits on that property. So it's, that is entirely different from a single statement by an employee uh, unidentified that the city doesn't have a right to it right now, the, the lot owners are who has a right to it, an entirely legally accurate statement at the time it was made. Um, so the, again, Levy-Walker, it is not analogous at all. And other cases since Levy-Walker have clarified, if you look at the Stedman case, they cite Levy-Walker for the proposition that the city can reject a dedication. So uh, I guess we have to be a little bit cognizant of the sort of procedural posture uh, of this case at 12b-6. And, you know, uh, you know, obviously there are documents we can take into in, in 
to consideration and review that are referenced in the complaint, that sort of thing. Um, but is it, I mean, is, is the record clear at this point, of, 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 you know, on what date uh, this, this the, the annexation occurred that allowed the dedication of the remainder of, of Hawthorne? Well, I believe the, the court could take public judicial notice of, of the date of annexation, but I don't think it matters because I don't think the plaintiffs have standing in the first place. Um, the, I mean, the fact is the city had the right to, de to accept the dedication at some point. You, you know, um, the date of annexation I don't think is exactly material for whether the plaintiffs have the right to stop the city or the city is a stop from accepting the dedication. Plaintiffs have the burden of showing through their pleadings that the city has, that has either abandoned uh, the dedication or that, this, that has been withdrawn through the statutory process. Plaintiffs have abandoned that argument in their brief and say we're not contending that it was withdrawn. So what they're left with are they have to establish adverse possession or they have to establish equitable estoppel. Uh, and again, the only case on equitable estoppel is Levy-Walker, which is entirely distinguishable and subsequent Supreme Court decisions citing to Levy-Walker have said what Levy-Walker stood for is that the city can reject the dedication. Um, they framed it in terms of equitable estoppel, but it was, the finding was they formally rejected it, uh, they taxed the property, they approved building permits on the property, and with that action, the court said, once you do that, once you formally reject the dedication, you tax the property, you allow building on the property, at that point, you're a stop from accepting the dedication because you've shown that you have no intention of accepting the dedication. A single statement by an unnamed uh, town employee that we don't have a right to it, which is legally correct at the time, is just not even close to analogous to the situation in Levy-Walker, as clarified by subsequent North Carolina Supreme Court decisions. Uh, on the issue of adverse possession, um, again, the, the position that, that plaintiffs are taking with respect to the dedication in 1997 is that the lackeys didn't own that property. And, you know, they've, they've argued sort of, I guess, at the same time that the lackeys did own that property through adverse possession. But if you look at their pleadings, what it shows is that the elder lackeys had a, um, you know, a garden on that property from 1960 when they bought it roughly to 1978 when the sewer line came in. And when the sewer line came in, it, their, their pleadings say the lackeys had to stop their garden. That is not consistent with adverse possession, hostile, open, exclusive use. If, if someone comes in and says, hey, we're building a sewer line right here, and they say, okay, well, we'll move our garden. We don't, you know, we, we're, we don't have the right to have this garden, and that's alleged in the complaint, that they were unable to maintain that garden. Uh, at that point, that adverse possession, to the extent they were claiming open, hostile, exclusive use, by virtue of having that garden and maintaining it, that ended in 1978. So 60 to 78 is not 20 years. So they never met the 20-year requirement um, because in 1978, when they came in to put the sewer line in, the elder lackeys acknowledged that they didn't have the right to prevent that or anything like that. Uh, Probably getting too caught up in the, some of the background facts here. It's just fascinating. So this, this was the sewer line originally a private sewer line, or was it a? It was, it, as alleged, a company came in and put the sewer line in. That's, that's yeah. the, the allegation as it stands in, in the record. Um, but the, the point is that they, 
took no action to prevent it. They didn't say, hey, no, you can't put that there. That's our property. They moved their garden and, and as alleged in the complaint, said they couldn't, they couldn't continue the garden because the sewer line came in. Uh, so they, the elder lackeys never claimed adverse possession. They don't have adverse possession. In North Carolina, uh, you cannot tack your alleged adverse possession to a predecessor in interest through a deed. And case law is very clear on that, that you know, if a deed is, so the, the elder lackeys had lots A and B plus the, the pony lot, uh, and they conveyed you know, lot A or, or whatever it was to uh, the plaintiff lackeys, that deed did not say along with the contested property. So the deed did not have the contested property as part of the conveyance. And if you, under North Carolina law, you're not allowed to tack on to prior adverse possession unless you have a written conveyance conveying that allegedly adverse possessed property. Not to mention the fact that the plaintiff lackeys did not do anything with that property uh, as alleged until much later. In fact, in, you know, as alleged by the plaintiffs, they were coming to the city saying, hey, who owns this property? Who's gonna come maintain it? You know, I don't know who owns it. I don't, someone's responsible for maintaining this property. Again, with, when the issue is adverse possession, plaintiffs have the burden of showing open, exclusive, hostile use. Under 12B6 standard, they have pled themselves out of that by alleging that they acknowledged uh, within a 20-year period that they did not own the property, that they believe someone else owned the property. That allegation defeats their claim of adverse possession because it has to be open, hostile use. And likewise, with the fact that they went to all of the other lot owners and said, hey, will you uh, relinquish your rights to this property? That is an acknowledgement by the plaintiffs that other people had rights in that property. That is not exclusive possession. So plaintiffs are saying, look, we, we don't own it. We would like your, maybe we have an interest in it. We would like you all lot owners, 17 lot owners, to relinquish your possession in it. And not all of them did. So, you know, th this is not a case where the plaintiffs had open hostile use and they've alleged and they've argued that they've alleged open hostile use. Well, yeah, they, they use those words, but their factual allegations defeat that claim because this was not open hostile use. When you're going to the city saying, who owns this? You're going to the other lot owner saying, hey, will you relinquish your rights in this piece of property? That is not open hostile use. And the trial court below recognized that and said, you know, you, you, you can't, have a claim of adverse possession, you have to have 20 years because they don't have a deed of title. 20 years of adverse possession and you know if in those 20 years you're going to people saying well, who owns this and will you give up your rights to this, that is not open hostile use. So there, there just simply is no adverse possession in this case. So switching gears back on you again here, um, will, you, will you speak to this issue that, that to the extent there may have been an acceptance of the dedication that the city's uh, alleged use of that use of the property as a walkway is is inconsistent with 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 the with the dedication and, and the impact that has. Well, the, the real answer to that, Your Honor, is because this litigation is pending, the city doesn't want to expend the funds to to build a road at this point. But that is the plan. Uh, not to mention the fact that that is not an actual claim that the plaintiffs have. Their their claim is not you're improperly using this piece of property. Their claim is you have no rights to this piece of property. Yeah, there's no there's no timeline under which the the city is required to to build a 
uh, you know, to build a street? That's, that's correct, Your Honor, and, and the intention is to build a street, but given that we've got pending litigation as, as to that piece of property, it was, it was deemed not wise to expend the significant amount of funds that it would take to create the road there, but that is the intent. The road is needed. I mean, these days you usually see like a stub, right? The stub end with right. the, the warning and signs and the guardrails, right? At the that, end. That's correct, right? And, and you know, if you if you look at this piece of property, it, it is obvious why it is needed as a road, and it's it's in the record, the, the plat map. But it is literally a road that just stops, and there's a little piece of property that's you know unpaved, and then the road continues. So again, once any portion of a road, and this is clear under North Carolina case law, once any portion of a road is used by the city or by the public, it becomes an irrevocable uh, dedication. So the dedication still stands. So if the dedication still stands, then the only way under North Carolina case law that, it can, that the city has no right to accept it is, is one of those three things, that, that, that adverse possession by 20 years, which plaintiffs have not established in this case, uh, withdrawal, which plaintiffs have contended they're not even alleging, and the, the equitable argument, which is based on one or two statements over the years that the city has no rights to it, which is entirely contrary and not analogous to the only case in North Carolina that has addressed the issue of equitable estoppel in this context. And again, in that case, it was express rejection by the city of the dedication. Subsequent actions included taxing the property, allowing building permits on the property. That is not what has happened here. Uh, it, it's just, it just simply does not rise to the level uh, that the North Carolina Supreme Court has recognized for equitable estoppel. And if you look at the subsequent cases to Lee, courts have made clear that the factor in Lee that was at issue, they've cited Lee for the proposition that the city can reject the dedication. No allegation in this case that the city has rejected outright, expressly rejected the dedication. The only allegation is, well, we, they made a couple comments here and there that they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't have interest in the property. Uh, that is not enough to establish equitable estoppel in this context, particularly where, uh, you know, public roads dedicated on a plat map that, <coughs> at the very least, the other 17 lot owners got an interest in that, and not all of them have relinquished that, that right. So at best, plaintiff has an interest in keeping that open pursuant to the plat, uh, but they do not have possession of the property to give them standing to assert claims of trespass or, you know, taking or, or the claims that they're asserting in this case. The, all of the claims that they're asserting in this case require them to have ownership of that property. They do not. It, um, you mentioned... There's nothing in the record. I, my understanding is no one paid taxes on it because it was, you know, but uh, that's not in the record, so I won't go there. But the, the point is it's the plaintiff's burden to show that there's equitable estoppel. They would need to plead facts sufficient to show equitable estoppel. They did not plead that the city has taxed that property, so that is not a factor. It is just not present here. Um, And other thing, they've, they've said that they have adverse possession against the Days, who are the original grantors for the, uh, for the subdivision. The Days dedicated the, the property, at the very least, to the, to the lot owners. 
So the days did not have possessory interest in the roads uh, such that you could take adverse possession from them. Um, they, the, the days relinquished their rights, their property rights to that road by dedicating it as, it, at the very least, to the subdivision. But they, they, pursuant to the plat map and the way North Carolina case law reads, by including the roads in the plat map and subdividing the property, they dedicated that road to the public. Uh, likewise, with 1997, that's exactly what happened. They subdivided uh, and, and filed a plat map under North Carolina law. That means there is a dedication to the public of those roads. So even if the lackeys owned the road at that time, they dedicated it in 1997. Uh, so, you know, the argument that there's no dedication is, is just simply contrary to North Carolina case law in addition to not being properly before this court. Um, and if, again, if it, if it is not withdrawn and there's no adverse possession, you know, then the North Carolina case law, the Stedman case says that's the only way the city can't accept it unless you have formally rejected it. And that's, that's exactly what Stedman says. If you read Stedman, it says it, it can only be withdrawn pursuant to the statutory process, adverse possession, or the city can reject it as they did in Lee. Uh, and so subsequent case law has, has clarified what Lee stood for. Um, and again, the, the argument on, on uh, adverse possession by the elder lackeys is, is simply a no-go because they did not meet their 20-year requirement. Plaintiffs don't have standing to assert adverse possession on behalf of a predecessor in interest, and they can't establish tacking under North Carolina case law, uh, not to mention the fact that subsequent actions by the plaintiffs indicated that they did not believe they had open, hostile, exclusive use of the property. So there simply is no adverse possession here. Unless your honors have any additional questions for me. No, thank you. Thank you. Would you like to use your remaining time for rebuttal? So in no particular order other than the notes that I've written down, um, I heard a question at one point about constructive knowledge. Wouldn't there be constructive knowledge of the um, purported dedication? And I, our, our response to that would be no, because constructive knowledge would give you a record of what is you know, in, the, in the Register of Deeds office and what is recorded in the Register of Deeds office would show that there wasn't a valid dedication. And the city seems to have acknowledged this as much because in 2012, and we pled this, they did a title search. And at that time, certainly, subsequent to annexation, they continued to say, we don't have a right or we have no right to this property. But, and, but what you allege, though, is that it, it's more than that, right? The, the allegation is that the city then said it's actually the, the other lot owners that it's, have the it, right to that property, so you need to go to them. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, at which point whether if we were really scrutinizing the three instances of the 2002, the 2003, the 2012, at one point that representation was made. But certainly in 2012 they had, I think that was the time I, that they said. I mean, that's the allegation yeah. in your complaint um, in paragraph 40. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I think this, the, I, I can't remember exactly who it on this. It may have been you, you Judge Hampson. But yeah, it is our p position that after 20 years, by the um, of adverse possession by the elder lackeys, 
title ripened in them, and so any subsequent acts, and that's all the, the arguments that we seem to be hearing are about subsequent acts taken by the younger Ackies, lackeys, those were all uh, entirely immaterial because title had already ripened, adverse possession just happens, um, so to speak, and can, it, it can happened you, at that point. Can you explain point. the argument that the, that the sewer came in 18 years into their possession, extinguishing any potential claim? Right, and so you can give an, an easement rights, incorporeal rights um, in property that you've adversely possessed. You can, pres you know, I don't think that that destroys it, and I think Judge Jackson was talking about an example with a sewer easement, and what would you do to adversely possess away an easement, for example? And, and I wrote that down because our case law is clear that you can actually extinguish easement rights through prescription, through adverse possession. It's hard to think about it in the context of a sewer easement, but it's easy to think about in terms of an access easement. If you grant someone an access easement, you're not giving up your fee interest, you're giving someone else some sort of rights um, that are less than a fee interest, and you can adversely possess those away by obstructing use of the easement for 20 years, by reclaiming the land essentially and saying, no, that's mine, I'm taking it back. And if you meet all the other elements for prescription, you can make that access easement go away. And so I think that giving an easement isn't, doesn't destroy any of the elements for adverse possession. Because but we're just, we're just hypothesizing that they gave an easement, right? There's right. No yeah, it, it's somewhat analogous, but it's not the exact um, scenario. On, in terms of leave, um, again, and the, the focus on a formal rejection, I think there has been a, a, a very, an informal rejection, if nothing else, in that they said, we have no rights. That includes an inchoate right. Um, and I think that on, that's true for the estoppel argument as well. Again, the representation isn't we don't have ownership rights, it's we don't have a right we don't have, we have no right, we don't have any rights. So I'm out of time, um, so I will yield at this point unless there are further questions. No, no further questions. Thank you all for your excellent arguments.